morning. We're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1 this morning, from verses 15 to 23. Uh, It's also on the screen behind me if you want to follow along there. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under earth and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Morning, everyone. Uh, Scott is my name. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Cracker. Great to be with you this morning. Anyone interested in archaeology? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> it's not kind of a hobby that people take up on a Saturday afternoon, is it? Um, but I want to show you something that I think is pretty cool. Here's some ancient graffiti. Uh, you ready? Here we go. Check it out. Yeah, ancient graffiti. They discovered this in 1857, somewhere in uh, the Roman world. Uh, it's hard to see what's going on there, but they did a stone rubbing, and that's kind of a bit clearer what's going on there. Check it out. Um, what there are, there's, there's two figures here. There's a, a, a human with a donkey's head who's being crucified, and then there's another guy there beside him who's kind of like he's nearly bowing down in some kind of act of worship. And there's some Greek words written there, and the words say, translated to English, Alexander worships his God. It's some ancient graffiti, and, and it was made to, to mock Christians. Because uh, in the ancient Roman world, if you're crucified, that, that's, that's a sign of, of something really bad, shameful, humiliating. Uh, only the worst got crucified. So the idea here that Alexander, or, or in fact any Christian would worship Jesus who got crucified, that's, that's ludicrous. That, that's insanity. And so they gave Jesus a donkey's head. They lay into this fool, Alexander. Because if Jesus is a god, why would he die? And not just die, but why would he be crucified? Why would he be crucified? You know, as, as a younger fellow, that was my question too. Not that I thought, like the ancient Romans, that crucifixion was shameful, but... So growing up, I went to a, um, my family went to church. Um, I heard a lot of the Bible a lot of the time. But still as a teenager, I was asking, why did Jesus have to die? I know, I know we always heard that common thing, Jesus died so we could have forgiveness of our sins, but, but why? Couldn't God just forgive without Jesus dying? Why did he have to die? Why did he have to be crucified? As Ada said, at our church, we've been reading through this part of the Bible called Colossians. And uh, we read part of it before. Uh, it's a letter written by Paul to some Christians in an ancient city 
uh, called Colossae. There it is. It's modern-day Turkey. And really, the whole point of the letter is saying that Jesus is supreme. Uh, we saw that last week in, in particular parts uh, in a particular part of, of, of the letter. We read it before just now. Today, we're going to focus on just that in those next few verses. It, it kind of delves into this. If Jesus is supreme, then why does he die? We're going to today hear two, two reasons why, and then one response to it. Two reasons why Jesus dies, one response to it. And here's the first reason. Jesus died because everyone, without exception, everyone is alienated from God. That's what verse 21 said. Verse 21, uh, once you are alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. See how we're described there? It's not very flattering, is it? Uh, alienated separated, um, estranged, enemies to God, hostile, hating, uh, evil, bad, wicked. It's not the way we tend to think about ourselves, is it? If anything, it might be a little bit off-putting, like, I'm not really like that, and I mean, sure, I don't, I'm not perfect, but evil, that, that's, that's Hitler, that's, that's Bin Laden, right? It's those guys, it's not me, not evil. Because I think to call someone evil these days, it's it's a pretty big deal. It's it's not something we take lightly. Well, evil has a it's a very strong word. And it's not that the Bible is saying that everyone's a Hitler either. Uh, but remember what it said there: we're enemies in our minds. It's 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 up here in our minds. We've made a decision to turn away from God. Uh, that we've decided we'd prefer to call the shots in our life. I want my hands on the steering wheel, so. God, you can sit in the back seat there. I'll get a whole different car if you want, because I'm driving this one. It's like Bon Jovi saying a few years ago, it's my life. Which is our way of saying, God, I've got this. You take your hands off, please. Thank you. We've turned from God in our minds. And the Bible is saying, because we've turned from God in our minds, the way that we live has just followed that decision. Our actions follow our decision to turn from God which is what the Bible calls evil. It's not that we're doing the, um, the worst possible thing that we ever could do. In fact, we might seem fine and dandy to each other a lot of the time, although I suspect that's not always true, is it? But even if we, we did always seem fine and dandy to one another, the Bible is giving us God's perspective. We're trying to do life without the one who gave life to us. And the Bible says that's evil. And it leads to evil in our lives. And it's worth saying as well, this, this is everyone. Um, it's not that there's some special group who's different, some kind of super Christians to whom this doesn't apply. This is everyone. Me. You. And so all of us have a great problem and a grave problem. We're alienated. We're estranged from our God. Growing up, I had an older sister and a younger brother. There's, there's my family, um, mum and dad on the flanks. I'm in the middle, and I've got my younger brother on one side, my older sister on the other side. Dean is my brother, Claire's my sister. Uh, would you believe that when I was growing up, sometimes, and this is only very, very rarely, I assure you, but sometimes, as kids, we fought. <laughs> it's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Perhaps not so rare. But uh, 
It wasn't often a physical thing. Um, we definitely had our fair share of arguments, though. And, and the worst thing about being one of three, sorry if you're a parent of three kids here, but the, best, the worst thing about being one of three is that it always ends up two against one. Um, I can see one of three there who, who notices this. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Asa. Um, if you're ever in, in an argument with, 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 if I was ever in an argument with one of my siblings, we'd always be trying to get the third sibling on our side, right? Because uh, you never wanted to be the one left out against the two. That that's that sucks. You had to play alone. If mum and dad got called in, you got ganged up on. It, it was miserable. Uh, in, in a way, you were estranged from your siblings. Now that's just kids and brothers and sisters. Far worse, isn't it? Being alienated from God. Far worse, being estranged from our God. And this is probably not what you wanted to hear on your Sunday morning. You didn't drag yourself out of bed for someone to bash you over the head and say, you're on the wrong side with God. Evil, evil, evil. And I get that. And look, if it were my choice on my own, I'd probably not start a new church by saying this either. Let's be honest. That's not great marketing, is it? Where we kind of stand up and say, God thinks you're evil. But it's right for us to go here. This is not the word of Scott that we've come to hear. It's not just us wanting to affirm one another, is it? We've come here to hear the word of God, and this is what God tells us. But here's the thing. God doesn't tell us this, so we'll just go home this afternoon and be depressed. He doesn't want to say this to us so that we'll just feel bad and feel bad and keep feeling bad. There's more to come. It goes on. Here's the second reason why Jesus died. Jesus died to reconcile us back with God. You see, without knowing the problem, without knowing that we're estranged, we'll never be interested in a reconciliation, will we? And so here's the second reason why Jesus died. He died to reconcile us back to God. Look at what verse 22 said. But now he, that is God, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, and free from accusation. Jesus died to reconcile us to God. We were estranged, but through the death of Jesus, we now have peace with God again. And Jesus did have to die here too. God won't let evil be evil. He can't just sweep it under the rug if, if, as if it doesn't matter and forget about it. Well, that would be evil in itself, wouldn't it? So Jesus dies, and as he dies, he absorbs the full brunt of God's punishment on evil. He dies my death. He takes my place. And because he does, now God can offer us reconciliation. A new start with him. A new life. No longer with a mind that's hostile to God, but now with a mind that trusts God, has faith. A life no longer with God as an enemy, but now with God as a friend. And a good friend, one who walks closely with us day by day through the good things, through the bad. Jesus dies because we're estranged from our God and through his death he repairs it. He reconciles things. He reconciles us to God and now we have peace with God. 
I asked this question a couple of weeks ago, um, but I want to ask it again. How do you think God sees you? When God looks at you, what, what, what do you think his reaction or attitude to you is? What do you think? Frustration? You know, why can't he ever get it right? How many chances does he have? Is God cold towards you? Oh, not her again. I just wish she'd leave me alone. Maybe you think God is indifferent towards you. Who's that again? No, doesn't matter. What's God's attitude to you? It's, it's an attitude of love. Look at the lengths he goes to so that you can be at peace with him again. And he does it even though it costs him his son, Jesus. And, he, and he, he, here I think is the greatest thing about God's love for us. God loves the unlovely. Remember, what am I like when, when, when God reconciles me? What am I like? I'm alienated from him. I'm enemies. I'm hostile. I'm doing evil things. And that's when God shows his love for me. He loves the unlovely. Which, friends, is so reassuring. Because it means I don't have to worry that when I stuff up that God's just going to give up on me and stop loving me. I don't have to worry that when I mess things up so badly that God's going to just end it. He won't. His love isn't contingent on me being lovable or good. He brought me back even though I'm not. How good is that? And notice too, God doesn't just reconcile us and leave us as we were. He gets us looking good. What does it say that he reconciles us to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, holy, set apart for him, his without the blemishes of our past still lingering on now, free from accusation so that no one could speak against us. It's, it's a fresh start, a complete fresh start. God makes us look good to him. You ever notice that this time of year, uh, footy players undergo uh, a drastic change? They go from looking like this, where they're all kind of muddy and gross, to looking like this, where they're dressed up to the nines. Because it's award night season, right? You've got to look good, dress up, be sharp. God makes that kind of change in us. He makes us look good, although it's not just looking good on the outside and scrubbing up. He changes us from, from hostile and evil to blameless and holy. And the occasion is not an awards night where we just go and slap each other on the back and say, well done, buddy. But the occasion God makes us look good for is that we actually are able to meet him, being face to face with God and not being found out as some kind of fraud, but actually fitting in there. Not enemies, friends. What do you do with a God like this? What do you do with a God like this? You trust him, don't you? Uh, if, if this is what God is like, if what we're saying is true, hasn't God got your best interests at heart? He didn't leave you estranged. He brought you back. 
And he didn't just bring you back, he made you look spectacular. And he did it, even though it cost him his son, even though it meant Jesus dying. Here is a God that you can trust, friends. Are you? Are you trusting him? If your answer to that is no or, or I'm not sure, would you like to start today? To trust him, to, to, to accept this offer of, of reconciliation. If you do, grab me later, talk to me, or uh, Ada, who's been up here. Well, you better grab the person who you came along with today, talk to them. I want to let you know, you're not going to be inconveniencing us in any stretch here. We'd love to, to help you just take those first steps in a new life of trusting God. What do you do with a God like this? You trust a God like this. And I want to say also, this is the kind of God who's worth speaking about, isn't it? Um, evangelism, uh, proselytising, whatever you want to call it, that kind of thing, it, it, it's got a bad rap. It's often seen as um, ignorant or outdated. And why can't we just live and let live? If it's working for you, fine, but, but just leave me to be me. But when you see a God that's this good... You do want to speak about him, right? Because without Jesus, we're alienated. We're enemies of God. We're without hope. When God is this good, don't we have to speak about him? I want to assure you, if you're here today because a friend has dragged you along, let, let me say this. Um, your friend really must think a lot of you. They've, they've risked a bit of uh, uh, social awkwardness because they really want you to hear this offer that God has for you. An offer to be reconciled. But God has done everything. What are you going to make of his offer? Do you want to take it up? Jesus died because we were alienated from God. Jesus died to reconcile us back to God. There are two reasons why Jesus died. Uh, and there's also one response that the part of the Bible this part of the Bible talks about. Here it is. God wants you to stick with Jesus. Uh, look at what it says in verse 23. Uh, once you were alienated from God, but now he's reconciled you. So verse 23, once he's recon- uh, but now he's reconciled you. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. It's not that the writer here is being doubtful. Um, Paul isn't saying, oh, you Colossians, I don't know about you. I'm not so sure. You know, you've got to stick with this. It only happens if you stick with it. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. It's, he's saying this to urge them on, to encourage them to keep going. Not to give up, but to stick with Jesus because no one else can do what Jesus does. No one else can reconcile us to God again. No one. So stick with Jesus. I want to show a quick video. Now, before I start, I apologise for the, the, the quality here, um, but it was a video made in the 1940s. Here we go. It's a video of the Tacoma, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Apparently it's famous because, as you can see, it's twisting and turning. The wind, when it got up to about 60 k's an hour, started blowing us around. It makes you look seasick at times, that one. And it, it, it blew like this for about four months until finally it collapsed. There you go. Um, 
the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. The engineers learned a lot from this uh, because it taught them how to build a suspension bridge that withstood strong winds and didn't collapse. Now, what's the point of showing that? In our spiritual life, we don't need to test what works. God's told us. We need to try out different things. God has told us. Without Jesus, there's no reconciliation. There's no peace with God. Things collapse. There's only alienation, estrangement. So God is saying, stick with Jesus. We can't hear this, this part of the Bible today and think, look, I'll be okay without Jesus. Or that it's fine and normal to wander away from him. Or, or, or even that there comes a time when it's good to go beyond Jesus and try, to, uh, try out something new and different to expand your spiritual horizons. No. I mean, sure it is fine to, um, to know more about different spiritual ideas and understand the different ways that people think. That's fine. But, but for true spiritual life, the Bible is telling us never go beyond Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can give you true spiritual life. He's the only one who can reconcile you back to your God. Other things will leave you disappointed or frustrated or empty or enslaved. Only Jesus reconciles. So stick with him. We can hear this and we can think, yeah, makes sense, it seems logical... Jesus reconciled, stay with him. Yep, get it. But the reality is that life throws all sorts of curveballs at us. God knows this. The Bible's very open about it. There'll be bumps in the road along the way. We'll face things that test us. Temptations, struggles, these kind of things will come, come our way. And amidst these things, God wants you to hear Stick with Jesus. Yes, it won't be easy. If it was, God wouldn't have to tell us to do it. Stick with Jesus. Maybe it's not easy for you right now. Perhaps you're going through something. Uh, what do you do when this happens? What do you do? It's not easy. What do you do? It can be easy to doubt God in those moments. If he was really there, he'd do something for me. He'd change this for me. I just want to remind us of what we've seen today. God can be trusted. God can be trusted even in the valleys of life. Remember what he did to bring us back? It cost him his own son. It's a God you can trust, isn't it? Even when things get tough. Will you stick with Jesus, friends? Let's get a bit more practical. How do you do that? What are some of the things that you can do that, that help you stick with Jesus? I mean, at this point, there's, there's a million and one things we could say, right? But, um, in fact, next week, uh, we have the great privilege. Mike's going to come and, and be up here. You get a break from me. Mike's going to come and he's going to tell us about community groups that we have at our church. And they're a great way to help stick with Jesus. But I just want to say two things today. The first thing is stick with Jesus by sticking with church. Stick with Jesus by sticking with church. Belong to a church. Now, I said before that life can throw all sorts of curveballs at us and 
life isn't always easy. But, but one of the things, one of the really great things God has done is he's given us each other. We're here for one another to help. In fact, one of our purposes of being in church together is, is to help one another through the hard times. To make sure that each other holds on to Jesus and sticks with him. To ensure we don't give up. Now, we can as a church and as individuals, we, 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 won't, we won't always do this perfectly. We'll make mistakes along the way. But this is what we want for each other, isn't it? That, that we all stick with Jesus to the end. So, are you part of a church then yet? And I don't mean in the sense that you've signed on the dotted line and said, you know, um, here's a form of paper and I belong to this church. But I mean, are you a part of your church in your heart? Are you committed to the people in your church, in your heart, engaged in life with them? In your heart, are you part of a church? If your answer to that is, I'm not really sure, or definitely not, um, let me say, we'd love for you to consider making our church your home church too. If you're interested in that kind of thing, I want to tell you, pretty soon we're going to run this thing called Belong. Um, it's, it's a pretty relaxing, there's nothing stressful about it, but we just want to be as open as possible as we can as a church. We want you to know us. We'd love to get to know you, and we think Belong's a great way to do that. So at Belong, we'll, we'll tell you the kind of things that we're about and what makes us tick. You'll have a chance to ask any of your questions, and, and we'll be able to meet you there, and and we have lunch together. It's really quite lovely. Um, but, but, but the reason why we do that is we want to make every effort so that you know, is this, could this be my church? Could this be the church where I stay? And we're going to have details about that coming soon. Keep your ears peeled. But really, being part of a church, this helps us stick with Jesus. So are you part of one? In your heart, are you part of a church? Here's the second thing I want to say. The second thing that can help us stick with Jesus is prayer. Uh, prayer. And I know that sounds so simple, but, but think about it. God says, I want you to stick with Jesus. That's what the Bible is. That's what he's saying to us in the Bible. That's God's agenda for your life. So why not pray and ask him to help you? Why not pray and ask him to help you? And don't just wait for the lulls in life to pray that. Pray that all the time. Help me stick with Jesus. Earlier in, in this book of Colossians, it talked about God as being the one who strengthens us with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. Don't you want that power, that might working in you? Why not ask God to do that? If you want to stick with Jesus, pray. Pray to God. Ask him for help, because he wants you to stick with Jesus too. And he can give you the power to do it. In fact, why don't I end by, by praying that prayer for us now? Let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, please strengthen us. Please strengthen us with all your power, with all your might, that we might have great endurance and patience and stick with Jesus. Amen.